Well, I am thrilled to introduce our speaker today, practitioner Derek Hinchliffe. And uh, Derek has done a lot of things in his life, a lot, mo most of it in um, broadcasting, but he is currently um, co-spiritual director for CSL Nanaimo. So um, they're uh, getting started, doing different things, and he also has his own bookkeeping business, and especially important, he's a loving partner to my daughter, Amanda. <laughs> so it's with great pleasure that I introduce him to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Janet. And you're right, that is especially important that I'm in love with your daughter. Liv, that was a fabulous treatment. Thank you for that. And Nathan, that song was perfect. And that's the weirdest guitar I've ever seen. <laughs> and if, if Air Canada did that, I think you have a good case. But uh, I, I don't know what you call it, but you play it beautifully, beautifully. It is so nice to be back here in White Rock and to be here in person, where our hearts are beating together and where our lungs are breathing together. Um, I, I've spent a lot of years in broadcasting, so I've made peace with the camera, but I've never seen one quite this small before. <laughs> and I trust for those of you who are watching at home that that same energy is coming through the ether to wherever and whenever you're watching this. So the global theme for November is called the mundane, the sacred, and the profane. Oh my. It's a shout out, of course, to the Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Now, Reverend Tamara was always so nice to be in ministerial class, and I noticed that her kindness continues today because of all the Sundays she gave me sacred. I'm not talking about the profane or the mundane, but sacred. And because there are no coincidences, and because much of the country spent yesterday honoring our war vets, I'm going to use my father, who was a World War II vet, I'm going to use his story to help illustrate my points today. If I do my job correctly, the two stories will be tied together in a bow at the, at the end, but if I'm not doing my job correctly, then there'll be 20 minutes that you will never get back, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so are you ready? Yes. Well, I'm not, but let's go anyways. <laughs> now, I just want to start for just a few seconds. If you didn't mind, wouldn't mind just closing your eyes, if you feel comfortable, and pay attention to what comes to your mind when I say the word sacred. What do you think of, what do you picture when I say sacred? Okay, you can open your eyes again. So when I think of sacred, I think of a, a, an altar that is covered in um, beautiful cloth or, or two hands pressed together when someone is saying namaste. And some of you may think of uh, yoga or other forms of meditation as sacred, and, and they are. Please don't get me wrong, because they are sacred practices. In fact, the connection that is felt during these moments of deep reflection and inner work can be almost palpable. And now I'm going to say something that you might find uh, unsettling. But here goes. Sacred is overblown and misunderstood. Sacred is overblown and misunderstood. I'm just going to let that settle in the room for a minute. And I'm going to switch gears and just talk to you a little bit about my dad. My dad was a very kind, gentle, smart, and funny man. And he had a hole in his head. 
He was bald, and right up there, there was a dent where he had a hole in his head. I'm going to tell you how he got that hole. It was uh, March 15th, the Ides of March, 1944. He was in a, a plane, where he was the bombardier, and they're flying along a formation where there was like hundreds of planes, and uh, one of the ones above him dropped their, I always get this word wrong, incendiary bombs. Those are supposed to light fires when they hit the ground. Well, they lit his plane on fire. So I remember him saying he wasn't sure what was scarier, staying in a plane that was on fire and heading towards the ground, or jumping out into this dark abyss. So he jumped out into the dark abyss, and fortunately, his parachute helped him land safely. He says the regulations were that when you landed, um, uh, he was in a field, and you're supposed to try and bury your parachute. But the sirens were going off. He knew there was people coming to look for him. So the last thing he was going to do was spend time trying to bury this huge white parachute. He went and hid in the woods, slid in beside a log. And he was soon discovered. The dogs uh, sniffed him out. So they marched him off to this jail. He was just in a, a little town, and, and it was a weekend. So they kept him in this little jail for the weekend. And he said he thinks they were more scared than he was, because this was not something that happened very well, very often. And it was when he was being transferred from that little jail to a prisoner of war camp that the vehicle he was in was in a terrible crash. And he fractured his skull. He spent the rest of the war and his 20th birthday in a, a hospital in Germany that was, used to be a big mansion and they'd converted it into a hospital. And he says they treated him very well. He remembers on his 20th birthday, uh, the medical staff brought him a present, a, a boiled egg with a ribbon tied around it. And that was pretty, pretty cool. So within a year or two, he was back in Canada where he soon became a bank manager and he was married and he had six children. In fact, he was the Bank of Montreal manager down in Cloverdale, just down the road from here. But now we're straying into the mundane. So let's get back to the theme of this talk, which is the sacred. Now, where did we leave off? Oh, yeah. I was telling you that sacred is overblown and misunderstood. Maybe not so much overblown, but it is misunderstood. And let me explain what I mean. What I want to bring forward for your consideration is that often the sacred is seen as something separate or apart from everyday life. It's something that's highly valued and important. And somewhere along the line, our collective consciousness, which Ernest Holmes calls a race consciousness, came to associate sacred with special events or special actions, or even both. So when we let go of that paradigm, then instead of sacred being seen as something reserved for certain expressions, times, places, or events, Sacred can be seen as something that is found in everything that exists. Every thought, every word, every gesture or action. And this probably isn't going to happen overnight because sacred is a mindset. The very nature of our brains is to label and categorize everything. That's what makes us believe that sacred like, this is sacred, and that's not sacred. And that could take quite a bit of time to unlearn. Now, some of you might be thinking, but Derek, when I do something sacred, 
it leaves me with this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And I get that. I do. The reality is, and it's good news, that this warm feeling of connection is not only reserved for these contemplative times. Some of you may feel that connection when you're out for a walk in nature, or you're watching the sunrise or the sunset. Maybe it's when you're listening to or even dancing to your favorite music. Could be when you're engaged in a deep, meaningful conversation. What is required for us to recognize the sacredness of a moment is that we attune our awareness. So that comes to our attention, our awareness. It's when we're completely present in the moment, when our minds aren't racing about something that happened already or something that may or may not happen in the future. When we are not saying, yes, that's a lovely sunset, but hurry up, I gotta get over to my friends and we gotta get something going already. I got things to do. As I said earlier, our brains are designed to label things. This is sacred, this is not. So when we do develop a new mindset, then what we might have once reserved for our meditation cushions begins to be found in everyday things like sweeping the porch, folding the laundry, and yes, even brushing our teeth. But again, I'll emphasize how important it is that we be present. A couple of quotes, Eckhart Tolle says, to do everything in a sacred manner means to do everything fully in the state of presence. Thich Nhat Hanh says, each thought, each action in the sunlight of awareness is sacred, in the sunlight of awareness. So I have an electric toothbrush, an oral B or something, and it's set up so that um, it'll, it'll buzz every 30 seconds so that I go through the four quadrants of my mouth and I spend a full two minutes brushing my teeth. And too often this thing is buzzing and I don't know if it's the first or the second or the third time because <laughs> I'm a million miles away. And it's the longest two minutes in recorded history. <laughs> Hurry up already, I, I've got things to do. When I remember, and I try really hard, I can spend those two minutes in the present, keenly aware of my thoughts and actions. In other words, something as mundane as brushing my teeth can be a sacred moment. It's true. I'm not sure about you, but when I, I know for myself that when I stop my mind from racing and I'm fully present, that's when I'll suddenly get an epiphany. I shouldn't really even say, uh, get an epiphany, because it's probably been there all along, just waiting for things to quieten down so it can come up to the surface. When I'm in the sunlight of awareness. Now, sometimes I think of my dad when I'm brushing my teeth, because I have a fond memory of being four or five years old and uh, standing in the bathroom on a wooden box, so I'm tall enough, and he's brushing my teeth with an electric toothbrush. And this is back in the 60s, so it wasn't very sophisticated. It probably just went up and down. But he'd have trouble because I'd be laughing, and I'd be laughing because my nose would tickle that this thing was going on. So I s sometimes find myself with the Oral-B standing there, and I'm brushing my teeth, holding on to my nose. Now, when you're a kid of 
that age and you've grown up knowing that your father's plane was shut down in the war and he was taken prisoner and spent his 20th birthday in the hospital, it's really difficult for a young mind to grasp. But when I was a grown-up with my own children, I was at a family gathering and circulating among the adults was a Vancouver Province newspaper article. And it was talking about a North Vancouver man who was missing in action and presumed dead. It spoke about how his belongings were being sent home to his parents. It talked about the schools in North Van that he attended, about his brother and his sisters. I remember looking up from this very real news article to see the young serviceman they were talking about sitting across the room from me. What was left of his hair was silver. And he seemed pretty happy, surrounded by his six children and six grandchildren. And it struck me how close 12 of us came to never existing at all. And continuing in this train of existential thought, I remember the angst I felt as a teenager. I was afraid of dying a nobody. I wanted to be a rock star or a famous movie actor. I was old enough to admit becoming a professional athlete was just not on the cards. <laughs> I mistakenly thought that the only way to have value, to be somebody, was to be famous. Then one day we were driving home to Prince George, following a summer vacation in the Okanagan. It was a 10-hour drive, and one of our stops was at the small mom-and-pop gas station convenience store in Quinell, which is just about an hour south of Prince George. We had lived in Quinell at one point. In fact, I was born there. So it had been at least 15 or 16 years since we'd left. But the owners of this mom-and-pop operation were so excited to see my dad. Turns out he had been their bank manager and had given them the loan to buy this business. And after all these years, they remembered my dad and what he'd done for them. And it left a lasting impression on me that my dad, who isn't a rock star or a movie star, and believe me, is not a professional athlete, he was just my dad. But just by being himself, he touched so many people in cities all over British Columbia. Not just in his professional life, but in his very demeanor, the way he treated his coworkers, his friends, and his neighbors. Now the sacred, yes, we're back on track again. The sacred is all those aspects of life that stir within us the energy of passion and activity. I call this being in the zone. They call it the energy of passion and activity. I like to call it being in the zone, but you can call it whatever you want. To me, it's just when I'm doing something that feels like it's exactly what I was put on this earth to do. When I lose track of all time and everything comes to me easily and effortlessly, that's when I'm in the zone. So another way of looking at it is, the sacred is this, saying yes, when we are called to say yes. It's stepping out into the unknown and bringing our true, authentic selves to the activity of life. For some of you, this may happen during interactions with others. It be can be found in how we treat the cashiers or our fellow shoppers at the grocery store. It may happen when you're working to help those in marginalized communities. 
It can be found when we make a conscious effort to see a stranger that doesn't feel like they're being seen or even worthy of being seen. It's in your dedication to a cause, and it's in the movement toward your own personal transformation. And I know that's what we're all here in this room for, personal transformation. In other words, the sacred can be found in the most mundane tasks of everyday life. This commitment to the flow of life, in essence, becomes one of our most sacred acts. I'm going to say that again. This commitment to the flow of life, in essence, that becomes one of our most sacred acts. So it's been almost 15 years since my father made his transition. He died in a very, very silly mishap. He was with my mom at a live performance in Penticton. Do you know the sycamus, the paddle wheeler that they've got on the beach? This big, big old boat. And, and once a year they would put on these live shows. So they had a temporary stage and a temporary bleacher set up. And Dad had gone back to the lobby to get a, a program from my mom. And when he stepped on the stool to get back up the bleachers, he fell backwards. He hit his head. When I got the call, the doctors didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. But he did. And he lived for another three and a half weeks before he died from a fractured skull. He had escaped the burning plane. He'd been taken prisoner of war and then survived the fractured skull he experienced in the wartime crash. And that was when he was 20. He died at 85. So by my math, that's 65 years. And in those 65 years, my dad had a positive influence on countless others in his own unique way. In short, it was 65 years of the sacred mundane. And sometimes I think about all the sacred moments that would not have happened had he not survived the war. So I'm encouraging you to do one simple thing. Raise your awareness. Remain present as much as you possibly can. And by doing that, you're far more likely to take something that might have been mundane and recognize it as the sacred moment that it truly is. Namaste. So if you're willing, again, just please close your eyes and take a deep breath with me. And know this. There is only one. One presence, one power, one all-encompassing, always-on energy that I call love, that I call spirit. And I know that spirit is working through me, as me, for me, around me as I speak my word for everybody in this room and everybody touched by my voice. I know the sacred exists in everything. And I know that as we are becoming more and more aware of this, as we recognize the sacred in everything that we do, every interaction we have, 
every thought we have, every, every gesture. I know that each time that we're aware of it, it's raising our vibration. And when you take all of these higher vibrations together, they're starting to ripple out into the rest of the community, into the rest of the world. The Fraser River started with one single drop. And any of those higher vibrations can be just one single drop, but together they are all accumul accumulating into something that can change the world. I am so very grateful to know that this is my truth. And I'm grateful to know that this is already happening, even as these words come out of my mouth. So I let go knowing that it is already done. I let the divine that is within me, and I ask you to affirm it with me by saying, and so it is.